Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, good morning, good morning on this Monday morning, January the 31st, 2022. Today's the last day of January. So anything that you thought you were going to get done in uh, in the first month of the new year, yep, <clears throat> today's the day to do it. That might mean you have a pretty long list. I know I do. Uh, if you are uh, listening for the very first time, welcome. So here on Mornings with Carmen, we seek to apply the mind of Christ to the headline news of the day. So we don't shy away from anything that's going on in the world. We recognize that we are sent forth as ambassadors of the king and the kingdom of God, uh, that we are representing Christ in the world that God so loves. And in order to do that well um, and in ways that honor Jesus, we have to be people who are saturated with the word of God. So where in the word are you today? That's a question that I ask frequently. And so I ask it of you today. Where in the word are you today? I am in John chapter 8, and I am in the beginning of John chapter 8, which you will have uh, marginal notes, a footnote, a weird bracket around this passage. And it will say that, you know, the earliest manuscripts or some of the earliest manuscripts don't include this passage or don't include this passage at this point in the Gospel of John. And so that leads us to ask an immediate question textually, what does that mean? What does that mean? Did somebody stick this in here? Is this like legit biblical information? And so we have to understand um, that the Bible has come to us um, over a period of time, right? And we don't actually have the original, uh, the original copies. We have copies of the copies. We have um, several, lots of, many copies of the copies of the originals. And so some of those include this story at this point in the Gospel of John, but not all of them. Some of them include this story at the end of the Gospel of John. Other manuscripts include this story um, at a different place in the Gospel of John, or they include it in a different Gospel altogether. It, it, It appears in Luke in some manuscripts. So here is uh, what we ask ourselves. Is this story consistent with everything else we know about Jesus? And uh, is it, does it exist in very early extant versions or copies of the original gospel? The answer to both of those questions is yes. Everything we see in this is consistent with what we know about Jesus, what we know about people, what we know about the religious leaders of the day. It's completely consistent with all of those things. It's also um, consistent in terms of the early church absolutely believing that this is a true story and should be included. And so there you go. So um, here it is uh, from John chapter 8, Picking up at verse 2, early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. 
The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard this, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. No condemnation. There's a lot that could be said about this passage. But this we must hear. In Jesus, there is no condemnation. Romans chapter 8 affirms that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to hear that today. I want you to remember that today. I want you to, even acknowledging your own sin, whatever variety it may be, brought to the cross of Christ, covered by his sacrifice, by God's grace, if you give it to him, There is then no condemnation in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is good news for this day. Dr. Linda Mental is up next. We'll be right back. Joining us now, Dr. Linda Mental. You can listen to her here on the Faith Radio Network on the Dr. Linda Mental Show. You can visit with her online at drlindamental.com. Linda, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back. And I was talking to your producer in the break. And I, you know, when you were reading those scriptures, I right away started singing, There is therefore no condemnation. There's a song about that that we sang in Those Who Are in Christ Jesus. So there's a great song that I used to sing in the worship team uh so i love it that sticks with you paul you will now it. be paul yeah. will now be hunting i that was down actually and... hunting for it while you were talking about that and i couldn't find <laughs> of course part of well, the problem is i mistyped the name in the, my search engine so oh, now, well. now you have there is no condemnation yeah, paul we I, will I, be I'll we will patiently await it at the break that sounds great <laughs> that's so right. linda that's um, going. overthinking overthinking is that yeah. my mind my mind racing and um just constantly on and won't shut down is that overthinking that we're talking about what 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 do you mean when you say i need a brain dump yeah that is my life story here in fact i woke up this morning at four o'clock already thinking about all the things that i had to do today Mm -hmm. and all the things on my list so a lot of times what happens is just think of it like your brain getting overcrowded 
and a lot of racing thoughts. Sometimes they're not bad thoughts. I, I mean, they're not like worrisome thoughts, but they're all these things that are on your mind that you're thinking, I got to do that. I got to do this. I got to do that. And the analogy I used um, in the blog was that uh, think of it like when you carry your purse and it gets jammed with all kinds of stuff in it. When you put your hand in there and you try to find something, you just can't find it because there's just too much stuff. So what we end up doing is taking our purse and dumping it on a bed, and then we actually can find the things that we want to find. So what I'm suggesting here is that there's a way to sort of dump your mind <laughs> on the bed and uh, get some of that clutter out so you can actually think clearer during your day and not have all those thoughts racing around. Okay, so equip me to do that. How do, so, does a brain dump work? How does that work? Yeah, so it's really it's really easy. Um, I think the easiest way is to take a piece of paper. Now, some people put it right by their bed, and then at 4 o'clock in the morning, you could take your pen and you could write down a thought and then go and then have it go away. I, I've done that when I was on a book project and I had so many things that I was thinking about. But typically, I just keep a piece of paper by my computer. And then the day before or the day of, I start writing bullet points on that list and anything that comes to mind. And it doesn't have to necessarily even be a to-do. It could be something that you're really concerned about, like maybe somebody you want to pray for, or maybe something that, um, you know, that you're, you, you know, you need to be aware of. We know Valentine's Day is coming up. So maybe one of the things on our list is to start thinking about what can I do for that person I love and just put it on the piece of paper. And then just take a few moments, you write it all down, so you're dumping all your thoughts onto the paper. And something about that process clears the brain and it makes it easier for you to think, especially if you take a five to 10 minute break, then go back and look at the list, then maybe prioritize, what is it that I can do today? What can wait for another day? Or is there something, this is always my sort of way of thinking, is there something on that list that I could just do and it would be tremendous relief and it would get off my list? That's a, that's a real nice one to start with. Right. One that, one that I have worried over or have, have had anxiety over, one that I know produces negative thoughts. I, I need to just go ahead and do yeah. that one. Like that's the most painful one. Just do it first. And, and actually, it may not be painful once I actually do it. It's, it, it is mind freeing. I, I actually know what that thing is on my list. And so I, I need to do that today. So thank you for raising my awareness to that. Let's take a very brief break. When we come back, will you give us three spiritual ways to de-stress? Absolutely. In fact, it's I our program this weekend. I love it. All right. Three spiritual ways to de-stress with Dr. Linda Mental. That's up next. Nicely done, Paul Perot, finding the song. There is no longer any condemnation in Christ Jesus. We were talking about John chapter 8, also Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Talking now with Dr. Linda Mental. You can find her at the Dr. Linda Mental Show. In fact, this topic is the subject of the weekend's program, Three Spiritual Ways to De-Stress. That's right. And Carmen, we take people through. You can listen to it on the podcast now. It was, it was this past weekend's uh, podcast. 
And we've done a lot on the podcasting. We've done physical ways to de-stress and emotional ways to de-stress. And we decided we need a show on spiritual ways. And so we actually walk you through one of these, uh, well, actually several of these things that we're going to talk about. We actually walk you through on the podcast. So if you want some real specific help, I would suggest you go to MyFaithRadio.com and you click on the podcast and listen because it will be helpful. Yeah, so that'll be the long-form version of this conversation, which we will briefly have here. So I think when the—because the first—one of the first things that you offer up is mindfulness. And I think that when we use that term, um, people—some people think about things that maybe you're not talking about. So when you say mindfulness, what do you mean and how do we do it? Great point, because there is a difference between secular mindfulness— and the mindfulness that's taught in the culture, which is actually Buddhist-based in most places. When you, when you hear about a school implementing mindfulness with their students, I would think it is not going to be the Christian version of this. It's going to be some Eastern religion or some secular version. So mindfulness in and of itself is just means that you're having a present moment focus. So one of the reasons it's so popular right now is because people get so future-focused, which is what worry is all about. And so we want to try to bring people to the moment, try to enjoy the moment. But in Christian mindfulness, one of the most important differences is, first of all, we're not emptying our mind into a state of nothingness. That's what mindfulness teaches people in the secular world. We, what we are doing is we are focusing on the object of our affection, who is Christ Jesus. So in the Christian mindfulness, and this is a, a long tradition that goes back to the early days of the church— We are setting our mind on Christ. We are putting uh, Christ first and foremost, thinking of him, putting our thoughts towards him, and putting our attention completely on the person of Jesus Christ. And as we're doing that, we take a few deep breaths. We begin to just think about Christ and all his splendor, meditate on God, his presence, his care for you, accepting his grace, resting in his presence, all of that, and it takes you into a position of calming you down because you're there in the presence of Christ here and now. And when we look at brain imaging studies of this, we see that there's a difference, that the brain actually calms down. And so it's very consistent with the scriptures in Philippians 4.8 that tells us to, you know, think on these things, and it tells us to focus our mind. So mindfulness in the Christian sense is a very Uh, attentive uh, to the present moment with the thoughts of Christ in our life. And that's a really good thing for all of us to do. So one of the things that you talk about in the mindfulness um, portion of the conversation is is, uh, meditating um, on prayer, like, right, Mm -hmm. prayer meditation. One of my favorite prayer meditations um, is the Lord's Prayer. And I can spend more time with the Lord meditating through the Lord's Prayer than just about any other spiritual practice. I and so for me that is um that is a huge full that is a huge tool in terms of mindfulness is just using that passage of scripture and that practice. Talk with us about music meditation. Well, let me can I can I just jump off of what you said because sure. the the meditation on scripture is actually one of the third things. It's the lectio divina that I talked about in the blog. And this is actually a process for doing exactly what you're talking about. It's a practice that I first learned about when I was teaching at Wheaton College. It actually means divine reading. And this is a practice that was used by monks in the 6th century. And it's a beautiful way to read the scripture. 
And what you do is there's four passages through a scripture. So you could take Psalm 23 and you could read that four times. And what you do, and we actually do this with Psalm 121, which is one of my favorite Psalms. Um, In the show, we actually read it four times and actually practice each of these phases. But what you do is you read it first, you just read it through, and you simply get the feel of the passage. And then the second time through, you really meditate on it, listening for the Holy Spirit, any words, any phrase that stands out. Third time you read it, you really turn your meditation to prayer, and you share your heart, and you draw near to the Lord. And then the fourth time through, you read the passage one last time in a very contemplative way, and you simply rest in God's presence. So that is not something that a lot of people are familiar with. I actually taught this to my med students. And nobody in my group had ever heard of this practice. Um, But it really is being very intentional, meditating on a scripture over and over and reading it through. So that's a great way to um, de-stress, but also stay in the presence of the Lord. That's excellent. Thank you so much. Um, Music meditation is another way to spiritually de-stress. It is, and it's so powerful. And um, I, I, I said in the blog that I sang in the choir. I, we just moved, so I'm not in the choir anymore. But we did so many contemplative pieces of music. Um, one of my favorites was Mozart, Mozart's Ave Verum. And we did a classical piece, Onata Loops, which is just this beautiful um, music that's a cappella. It's just so beautiful. And as you're singing each of these, and as we would practice them each week, Carmen, you know, I'd, I'd be all stressed from the day. I'd go to, you know, I'd be like, oh, I don't want to go to choir practice. I don't want to get up. It's cold. I don't want to get out. <laughs> you know, and then I would force myself to do it because I committed, right? So I have to do it, and I have to know the piece before I sing on Sundays. So, you know, you get there, and then you're practicing these beautiful uh, hymns that are Scripture-based often, and you're, you just calm down. And my husband and I both sang in the choir. We would comment on our way back. I mean, it was totally de-stressing. It totally made us feel better. And there is a real therapy. This is what music therapy programs are all about, because there is something that connects in the, in the, actually the tiny muscles of the middle ear to the vagus nerve, which is this long wandering nerve in the body that has to do with activating your stress response. And you can train your ear to music. And in the process, it helps regulate your nervous system. So this is a calming thing. Uh, not only will it will it just make you feel creative and wonderful because you're listening to these beautiful pieces of music, but you'll notice that as you do this, you're going to de-stress as well. Your experience might be um, related to art uh, as well as music. Part of your spiritual way of de-stressing may be to get outside. Um, we recognize all of those. We just thought we would offer tee up these three today, three spiritual ways to de-stress. You can listen to more um, on this particular topic by going and getting the podcast from this weekend's episode of the Dr. Linda Mental Show. Uh, Linda, as always, thank you so much. Well, thank you, and I hope people take advantage of this and actually practice with us and learn to do this. Amen. Have a de-stressed day. (laughs) Have a de-stressed day. Thank you, Linda. All right. Talk to you soon. You too. Let's take a break for Breakpoint. What do you think about the challenges that you face today? And I want you to consider being 
16 years old, um, diagnosed with a fatal disease um, and making the very, very difficult choice not to have surgery, but to endure enough physical therapy that it would actually change the shape of your spine. I I want you to imagine what you would do um, if you'd already lost one brother to the same disease and your surviving brother had been diagnosed as well. Would you be a person of hope and courage? Would you be a person who was seeking a cure? Would you be a person living with the hope that exists in even the smallest of ifs? That's the story of Elijah Stacy. He joins us next. Joining me now, Elijah J. Stacy. The book is A Small If. Encourage you to get in touch with Elijah at ElijahJStacy.com. Elijah, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me today. So I wish that people could um, could see you because I feel like uh, the the visual um, image of you talking about your life and the challenges um, that you're facing is a helpful image. So can you tell people a little bit about Duchenne disease um, and what life is like for you today? Yeah, so I was born with uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, and what that is is it's a fatal muscle-wasting disease. So when I was a little kid, I'd walk on my tippy toes, I was really, I would get really fatigued walking, I couldn't keep up with my peers, fall to the floor frequently, and then at age 11, I lost my ability to walk completely, and then became dependent on a power wheelchair, so today I sit in a power wheelchair, uh, and then as I got a little bit older, I started to lose mobility in my arms, so I'm very weak in my arms as well, and then the worst part about the disease, the shin, is that, as I said, it's fatal because it attacks the heart and diaphragm uh, because those are muscles as well and it's, it's a muscle wasting disease so very serious disease and uh you know my life it's you know just imagine uh imagine if you couldn't use your arms or legs uh you're constantly facing muscle weakness it's a uh, very challenging makes things a lot harder to do but you know we have to persevere and that's that's what i do i i love that and i appreciate that i um you know i also recognize that that there's a there's a lot there to process not only for you and your own experience but in your family you are not the only member of your family diagnosed with Duchenne. Can you share that with us as well? That's correct. Yeah, my little brother Kai, he's 14 years old, eighth grade. Uh, he has Duchenne as well, and so he's in a powered wheelchair uh, as well. Uh, but my little brother Max, he also had Duchenne, uh, but he unfortunately. Uh, passed away when he was 14 and he's in heaven today. I'm, I'm, I'm so, I mean, on one level, I'm so sorry for your loss. On another level, I am, I am really trying to imagine what life is like for your parents um, and in your household. Um, is there a lot of help? Like I, I have a hard time imagining how, Everyone is just getting through every day, let alone really, really thriving and flourishing, which you obviously are. Yeah, I mean, you know, my family, we're a really close family. So, you know, we 
we help each other out a lot. Um, you know, we just make it work. I mean, we're really dependable on on God, to be honest. That's something I was thinking about this morning is, you know, it seems to me like with this disease, like with all the challenges I go through, like I'm praying every single day sincerely, you know, I'm praying fervently. And, uh, you know, I just think God gives us the the strength and, and the wisdom on how to deal with this, how to get through it. I appreciate your reliance upon upon the Lord that comes through so clearly in your book. Let's um, let's turn there together, Elijah. The book is a small if. Tell people the story of the small if. Yeah, so that's the title of the book, a small if. And the title comes from my doctor. Um, my back was curved when I was 16 years old, so my spine was literally curving. And after I got off the x-ray table and looked at the x-rays with him, he said, that, okay, you know, I got to really push for you to have the surgery, to have a metal rod inserted into your back to correct the, the curve. I didn't want a metal rod in my back, but, you know, it's a really serious situation. He's talking about this is the team of doctors that we'll have. Um, we'll do it during the summertime to avoid the flu season. You know, and I'm looking over to my left. My mom, she's crying. My doctor's hanging her tissue. My dad's got his head down. That's what he does when he's sad. And I'm not accepting the news. I'm actually smiling because I'm not accepting the news. So my doctor and I go back and forth. I'm not really getting anywhere. And then I ask him um, if I was somehow able to avoid or if I was somehow able to reverse the current state of my spine, you know, if I changed it, could I then avoid having the surgery then? And then he says, you know, I don't want to give you any false hope. It's basically medically impossible. I've never seen anybody do it. But because I know you, I will give you a small if. That's if you're able to do it, you don't have to have the surgery. So from that day forward, you know, I, I had the possibility. That's all I needed. And I went to physical therapy. I worked out every single day at my house. I prayed. I taught myself how to cook so I could lose weight and be healthier, you know. I'd be driving the wheelchair with one hand, right, my hand, uh, one hand driving the chair and then carrying the pan in the other hand. Um, and three months later, I go back to the doctor's get off the x-ray table, look at the x-ray, and my spine is straighter. And so all I needed was a small if. I love that. I love um, not only your personal determination, but the work that you, you know, recognize that you'd have to put in as well. I feel like uh, I could describe your book as an exercise in faithful resilience. Um, you use the uh, the concept or the terminology of an adapter's mindset. What, what what do you mean? What does it mean to you to have an adapter's mindset? Yeah, so that's one of the 13 lessons in my book that I talk about um, that helps people overcome adversity and live a more fulfilling, purposeful life. But the adapter's mindset, what that's about is developing a mindset, right, that um, you're going to you're going to adapt no matter what. You're going to get really creative. And when you already set your mind on, I will adapt, uh, it, it makes you become come up with a lot of creative ways to solve a problem. So, for example, uh, to get into my wheelchair by myself out of my bed, well, I have a, you know, I have one of those beds that, like, the, you know, the top part goes up and then the, the bottom part goes up, like, to raise your feet up. And what I realized is I could use gravity to my advantage. So, my chair and my bed, you know, it's a little bit, it's about even. Um, but if I lift the feet part up of my bed and I sit on top of it, then I'm, you know, I'm higher than my chair. 
And so then I could slide over into my wheelchair and get in it every single day. And that's, and that's what I do. Now that took a lot of creativity. It took a lot of problem solving, a lot of uh, trial and error. Um, but because I have an adapter's mindset, that's, uh, that's where I came from. That's so good. Um, it's so helpful. Hey, we are talking with Elijah Stacy. The book is A Small If. You can also um, read more about Elijah and connect with him at ElijahJStacy.com. Elijah, you were, um, I think you were 17 when you wrote the book. So um, are you 19 now? Do I have my math right? I'm 20. I'm 20. I'm 20. 20. Um, All right. So um, let me just, I I, I mean, this might be an appropriate or inappropriate question, but (laughs) have you outlived your doctor's expectations? Uh, Not yet. Not yet. The average lifespan with Deshane is 25, but I'm I'm sincerely not worried about um, dying uh, with the disease because, one, I'm, you know, I'm in good health and everything, and and a lot of new medicines are coming out, you know, and I, I think that we will, will cure this disease, to be honest with you. I think that we're going to do it in my lifetime. But other than that, I mean, the other thing, too, is I face my own death already, you know, and I and I mean, okay, we cure the disease. I'm still going to die one day. And so I, I've already faced it. And, you know, I really like the verse that says that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if you really, really break that down, it's true. You know, when we die, we're with the Lord, um, you know, if we put our faith in him and, and that just brings you a lot of peace. And and I think when you know, here's another thing I'd say too. When you're when you're comfortable with dying, when you're ready to die, then you really start living life. You know, you really start living life as best as you possibly can. And so, um, so I'm not worried about it. <laughs> Which um, is refreshing, by the way. I'm not worried about it either. But I'm a whole lot older than you. Um, and I uh, and so I. I, it's so refreshing. It's genuine. You're my brother in Christ. We're going to spend eternity together. It's delightful to be able to say out loud with joy. Uh, if you're listening right now and you want to, um, you want to help Elijah destroy Duchenne, the website is destroy Duchenne, D-U-C-H-E-N-N-E dot O-R-G. There's also a Facebook page as well. Um, because Elijah is committed to exactly what he just said, which is destroying this disease within his lifetime. Uh, and so working diligently to find a cure for Duchenne muscular, um, tell me what the third word is, dystrophy? dystrophy. Muscular, yeah. yeah, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, yep. Yeah. So, um, so let's, um, let's take a brief break. And when we come back, I'd love for you to talk with us about the difference between controlling something and influencing it. I found that portion of the book particularly uh, particularly helpful on just a, on a range of topics, and I think that it would help others as well. Elijah, can we do that? Sounds great. All right. We are talking with Elijah Stacy. The book is A Small If. We'll be right back. So I'm looking at uh, page 309 of A Small If by Elijah Stacy, um, and uh, it's an, really an invitation to come alongside Elijah and a lot of others to destroy Duchenne. Um, and so uh, I just want to encourage you to consider the part you might play in 
turning the small if into a big if, maybe one way to think about that. Um, the website is ElijahJStacy.com or DestroyDushen.org, and obviously all of those uh, same on socials as well. Elijah, talk with us um, about the difference between controlling something and influencing something. Yeah, so this is another lesson that's in my book. Um, this lesson is that economy of control, and uh, that comes from uh, the ancient stocks actually, but it basically says to you, focus on what you can't control and disregard what's not in your control. And so the other part that I break down, though, is that, you know, there's something that um, there's a difference between influencing it and controlling it. So, you know, controlling it would be determining the outcome. Uh, and we can't, we, we really don't have a lot of control over a lot of things. Um, the other part is you where know, you can influence it. So, for example, I may want somebody to like me, right? I want to be friends with them. I can't control if they're going to like me or not. That's ultimately not in my control. But I can influence it. I can be nice to them. I can take an interest in them. I can do, you know, um, you know, just be polite. Right? Those are all the things I can do to influence them. But I can't control if they like me or not. They, might, they may not like anybody, so that's outside my control. And so when you realize what, you know, when you realize your limit of power, uh, it really makes you uh, not think that, you know, you're in power as much and that removes a lot of anxiety and removes a lot of, of fear, stress, and it just makes you focus on, on what you can do. And, and I think that's a really free type of mindset. And um, and I'd also add, you know, the biblical lens to it as well when you realize what's in and out of your control. Um, what's on your control, just take it up with God, pray, and let him deal with it. I, I guarantee you that there are um, others wondering right now, Elijah, um, you know, just recognizing that you wrote this book a couple of years ago and you're now only 20. Um, there are definitely those of us thinking, where where did he get these ideas? Like, this is um, this is a whole lot more thinking in a particular direction than most young people are doing. Um, do you feel like you're a person who just like you, you live with some urgency and that that provokes you to, frankly, get more done than other people your age? Uh, I definitely think there's that. I definitely think there's that. Um, I, I mean, you know, but I also think a lot of it, too, is just uh, I think God made me the way he did. Um, I'm very <laughs> philosophical. Um, I'm someone that, you know, like, here's something else that people don't know about me that I don't talk about a lot is every Monday night. So uh, today I, uh, I run a Bible study. I lead it, and there's about 15, 20 kids regularly that are, you know, my age, you know, in their 20s, you know, 18 to 25. Um, and it's very deep, very, you know, intellectually based. We, we go through the whole scriptures and, you know, we welcome non-believers, we welcome whoever, and we just get into the word and think about these things. Because like the way I see life is like, why, why do you want to just do things that are fun and, and party and just kind of do things that are like, you know, not really that impactful. Like I want to do things that are going to have eternal impact. And really one of the best ways to do that is you got to think about things, you got to think about things deeply and then you'll realize what what really matters. And so I'm a big reader. I'm someone that uh, reads a lot and a lot of that has helped shape these ideas and where they come from. And, uh, and then with my own experience of all the adversity and suffering, you know, losing my brother, Max growing, you know, losing my, my, a lot of my body, like a lot of my strength, 
yeah, it definitely will develop your, your mindset if you choose to. There's a lot of people, though, that would have similar situations and they just become bitter and do nothing with it and, and don't let it, they don't let it mature them and grow their thinking. So, you know, everybody has a choice on what they want to do with their suffering. And, and, you know, we know from the Bible that God uses suffering for good. And so uh, I'm just trying to follow his, his will and his path. And, you know, he's directing my steps, right. As Proverbs says. Amen. I, and I love that you, um, that you brought up the word suffering and the reality of suffering and that it is for a purpose. Can you say a little mm-hmm. bit more about that? Well, yeah, what just comes to my mind right now, what I was just thinking is, you know, Jesus suffered for our good. If you think about it, I mean, he laid down his life. He, I mean, let, let, let's think about this. He got flogged. Okay, that's terrible, right? You know, when you really think about mm-hmm. flogging, you know, they, they ripped your skin out. He did that over and over again, and he was completely innocent. And then after that, he would carry his cross, being weak, all the way up to Calvary. Then he would lay down his life. They would nail him to a cross inside his wrist, most likely, and then inside his feet. And then he would die through suffocation because why you die on a cross? It's because you have to push up, uh, you know, you have to push up and down um, in order to breathe, and like his body would be all twisted and stuff like that. And and since he was also fully God, he could have stopped that at any time. But he willingly laid down his life. I mean, uh, before he even did so, he prayed to the Father, you know, let this cup pass, if possibly no mean. If there's another way to to complete salvation for humanity, uh, let's do that, God. <laughs> but he said, mm-hmm. ultimately, your will be done, not mine. And that was the only way. And um, and that suffering was necessary for the greater good. And I mean, to me, that's so beautiful. Something that I think about, right, something that's been really hard on me is, uh, people might find this interesting, is, is losing my arms, right? Losing my arms has been harder than losing my ability to walk. I Honestly, if I could pick one or the other, I'd just... You could take my legs away any day. I'll just keep my arms, you know, but I lost both, so it, it sucks. But what I was thinking in is, you know, my greatest role model, Jesus, he also had his arm pinned down. Mm. They were pinned down to a cross. He couldn't move his arms at one point. And I thought, you know, that's really, I guess, encouraging or just, you know, he did it too. And, and uh, he shares our suffering with us. And um, and I don't know. I take comfort in that. I... um. I deeply appreciate your faith and your authenticity, your willingness to share from your own experience and inspire other people to think about what they're thinking about and how we're spending the precious time that God has given us. I can assure you that, um, myself included, but there are people listening right now who every time we have the privilege today of using our legs or our arms, um, we're going to think about you. And we're going to consider with gratitude um, something that prior to this conversation, we we did without appreciate without appreciative thinking. And so um, thank you. Thank you for that um, conviction, con- that um, that oh, wake-up call today. Thank you for what you're doing every single day um, to live a life that is full and abundant. Um, please, please tell your parents that we're grateful for them, uh, and and know that we're praying for each and all of you, um, Elijah. It is uh, wonderful to make your acquaintance today, and I look forward to uh, future opportunities to have you speak into our lives. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today, and. Um 
yeah, you know, if anyone's listening, you know, yeah, please pray. I, I'm a big believer in prayer, and, you know, prayer really does change things. So, so I appreciate that as well. We're going to do that right now. Father God, we lift up our brother Elijah. We thank you. Um, we thank you for your presence in his life. We thank you for the way your spirit animates him. We thank you for the mind you have given him in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank you for all the ways that you have grown him up into maturity of faith. We thank you for the way he is pouring into the lives of others. We ask that you would bless him tonight as he leads the Bible study. We ask that you would um, bless the efforts of his organization to destroy Duchenne. Father, we ask for healing in whatever way and with whatever timing it comes. But Father God, we would be bold to ask for a miracle, for this is a man willing to be used up and used by you. Um, And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the demonstration of his life among us and the privilege that it is to share this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Elijah, bless you, my brother. Bless you, my Thank brother. You so Thank much. you so much. You guys can connect with Elijah at ElijahJStacy.com. We'll be right back. I want you to think about all of the things you have already done this morning with your fingers or your hands or your arms. I want you to think about all the things you've already done this morning that were dependent upon your legs. Uh, Talking with Elijah is reminiscent of talking with Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, I remember saying to her once, you know, you stand up for the faith in ways that uh, that no person who stands up on their feet like really ever does. Um, And I feel like when we have the privilege of talking with a fellow believer who is living such a full and flourishing life, with what we consider so many limitations, it ought to give us pause. Like we ought to pause today and consider the life of Elijah Stacy, and consider the life of his brothers and consider the life of his parents. And then as we consider whatever relative challenges we face today, um, we ought to recognize that God is supplying grace all sufficient to each of us for the meeting of the challenges of this day, whatever they may be. Let us meet them in Christ with grace, completely reliant upon God. And yes, recognizing that our suffering has a purpose even to God's glory. Thank you for this time together today. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.